we're going to hear from God's word now um, as I read from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day, mums. My sympathies to you if it's a hard day uh, for you, if you've lost your mum or she's sick or something. Mum's got, my mum's got COVID. She's doing okay, but I can't see her, so I'm a bit sad about that. Today, let me pray as we uh, jump into God's word. We'll find out what on earth these paper cups are doing in all our hands. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for all our mums. We pray that this day is a blessing to those uh, who are mums. And we pray for your comfort for those for whom this day is difficult. Uh, Lord, we, um, we do carry around this great treasure in ourselves, the gospel. And so amongst the... Um, celebrations of mothers today help us to focus on 2 Corinthians 4 and remember the glorious gospel that's inside of us be uh, be excited about that and be compelled to do with that truth what you want us to do uh, in Jesus name amen so I'm filling in for Ben this morning so I'm back again which is great I was here just a couple of weeks ago I'm back uh, which is nice, and no pranks on machism today, so that's also nice. Parabee Panthers, woo! Um, 
It's great to be back, and yeah, my heart to Ben and Stacey, who are a bit crook uh, at the moment, but I'm glad I could fill in for him. Um, I want to confess up front that this is a sermon that I preached 10 years ago that I've, I've reworked, but there's a great story in it, and it's just a heart-wrenching story, particularly if you're a mum. And I apologise uh, in advance, I really do, uh, but it really helps to grasp and apply this part of God's word this morning. So apologies in advance. Um, if you're a bit of a weeper like me, you might need tissues handy. It's a, it's a, yeah. um, some years ago, I attended the national training event at NTE. Who went to NTE last year? Is any of the uni students? James? James, great. Excellent, James went. Um, they're all night churches. Um, it's a training conference. It's put on by the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. So uni students to equip them for Christian ministry and to upskill them in their handling and teaching of the Bible. It's very good. Uh, about a thousand students go along. It's great. Now, this time that I was there, some years ago, there was a 22-year-old woman there named Esther Staines. And she was introduced to us. She was asked to explain her story to us. She told us that she grew up in India where her parents were missionaries and in particular they uh, cared for people with leprosy, they helped them out, they gave them medical care and they also shared the gospel with them as they got uh, to know them and the opportunity arose. She then went on to explain that her father and two younger brothers were brutally murdered by 50 Hindu extremists uh, who hated Christians. While sleeping in the family station wagon, the vehicle was doused in petrol and satellite, and the three of them were burned alive. And then Esther went on to explain how it was that her and her mother handled this tragedy, and how it was that they responded to this tragedy. And I'm going to come to their response a little bit later, after we've had a look at chapter four. But it was clear, very clear, that their response to this awful, awful tragedy was largely shaped by 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If the staggering and wonderful truths of this passage aren't true, the response that these two women had to this situation would be impossible. Like Esther, Paul, the Apostle Paul, knows deep suffering. And he writes this letter under enormous persecution in the midst of terrible, terrible suffering. He feels weak. He feels threatened. He is threatened. But God's love and strength sustain him and fuel his love for the church and for the people in Corinth. And Paul begins this chapter, chapter 4. Um, please keep your Bibles open. There's an outline on the back of the handout. Um, he's heartened amidst this suffering, by the fact that he has what he calls this ministry. So we're going to start thinking about what this ministry is. What is this ministry? Um, Paul explains it, and he and the Staines family exemplify what ministry is. Ministry is living, ministry is living life for Jesus, and living life like Jesus did. Look at chapter 4 in your Bibles. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry... We do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
The purpose of the Christian life is to do ministry. And I'm not saying full-time ministry like I do. I'm saying ministry in whatever sphere of life God has placed you in, in whatever workplace or university or school, whatever context in life we've been placed in, we all are called as Christians to do ministry, to do what God wants us to do, to teach people about Jesus in any way we can, to live life like Jesus and like he would have us live life. This is the purpose of life for the Christian, ministry. And we saw this at the end of chapter 3 uh, last week, which Jono explained. As people repent of their sins and they turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, the veil blinding them to the truth of the gospel is lifted from their eyes and they see the Lord's glory in all its fullness through Christ. By the, and the, by the work of the Spirit in their hearts, they're transformed more and more each day to be Christ-like so that they might reflect the glory of the Lord into the lives of others in whatever sphere of life they're in. Paul says in the beginning of chapter 4 here that because of this, because of this transformation and this work of the Holy Spirit and this grace of God and mercy from God, we have, all of us, we have this ministry and we do not lose heart because of Christ. Christians have the amazing privilege of reflecting the Lord's glory into the world. We're like mirrors of God's glory into the world. Christians have the amazing honour of knowing Jesus intimately and making him known in all the world. We don't lose heart with this message because it's such a glorious message. It's such a glorious truth that people can be resurrected spiritually from death to new life so we don't lose heart despite our circumstances we're encouraged. The gospel's clear and that's how Paul preaches it. And that's by preaching he means just that's just how he tells other people. Not necessarily standing up here with a microphone, but one to one over a cup of coffee or over the fence uh, to your neighbour. The fences are taller these days, aren't they? They used to be this high, now they're this high. But, you know, in the front yard to your neighbour, preaching the gospel, telling the gospel, explaining the good news about Jesus. Simply, plainly, clearly. But some don't believe the gospel, do they? Look at verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled... People don't see it. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If some don't understand, it's not Paul's fault, it's not your fault. It's because the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their minds so they can't understand the gospel. and They need God to lift the veil. So we pray. Have you been in that situation, I wonder? You're chatting with somebody and, and you, you see this moment to tell them about Jesus and talk about church and that kind of thing. So you do and you tell them about how much you love your church and why do you love church? Well, because, you know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus is the one who God sent into the world to pay the price for sins. He died, but then he rose again. And if we have trust in him, we can be saved. We can have eternal life in heaven. This is the wonderful truth that I believe. Did you know about this? And they say, well, that's nice. It's just not for me. You see, they're veiled. And they, although you're reflecting the glory of God, they can't see it. Their faces are veiled. Satan presents all these alternative myths, truths, to blind people from the real truth. 
Mistruths, mistruths such as you need to have a great career and be wealthy and rely on that because God won't actually provide for you even though you pray and ask him to. Mistruths such as sexual immorality isn't really that big a deal, everybody does it. Pornography is really harmless, it's not exploitation of women. God's command to keep yourself pure sexually for his sake, it's, it's really just a bit over the top. Mistruths from Satan. Mistruths such as there's lots of religions, there's Islam, Buddhism, Scientology, Hinduism, Christianity, they're all basically the same, kind of all roads lead to Rome. No, they don't. Jesus said, I, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God, the one true God, the only way to be saved. Graham and Gladys Staines were Christian missionaries in India. Graham served the Lord Jesus in the jungles of Orissa for 34 years, particularly working for and providing medication for those with leprosy. He loved these people. He cared for them. He brought them hope through medicine, but he brought them eternal hope through the gospel, which he shared with them. People came to him with leprosy in Hinduism, and they found healing for their leprosy, and they found Christian love. And then he could share the gospel with them and pray that God would lift the veil of Hinduism from their eyes and reveal the truth about Jesus and the glory of the gospel. And he did, time and time again, through the ministry of Graham and Gladys. Satan's blinded the minds of unbelievers, but while Satan has power to blind, God has far greater power to return sight through the preaching, teaching, plain explaining of the gospel. This priceless treasure, the gospel, the knowledge of the glory of God is shone into our hearts by God so that we might reflect the Lord's glory through loving deeds and the sharing, the plain explaining of the gospel to others. And God works through human weakness. So the glory goes to him, which is our second point. Look at verse 7. Paul makes it clear, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay were used in the first century. Jars of clay were used in the first century for all sorts of reasons. They stored food, they stored oil, they stored basic bits and bobs around the house. They were just a kind of average throwaway container. They were really quite not worth, fairly worthless themselves, but... The value came of what was in them, what was in the jar, uh, that was the treasure. And I think a modern equivalent of jars of clay could be something like paper cups. Paper cups. Did everyone get a paper cup? Everyone's got a paper cup. Show me your paper cups. Hang on to your paper cup. We're weak and our bodies perish. And the older you are, the more you know that for realsies. We're weak and we perish, like a paper cup isn't very strong and it doesn't last very long. But God works powerfully through human weakness, through our paper cupness. God works powerfully. And that's one of the great themes of this letter. God stores his greatest treasure, his most priceless treasure, the good news about Jesus, inside each one of us. 
If you're married and you're wearing a diamond ring now, don't take it off, but could you imagine that you keep your diamond ring in that paper cup, kind of at home, just kind of randomly on the shelf? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't keep your treasure in this paper cup. But God does. God keeps his treasure in us. What is foolishness to the world is the wisdom and power of God. Paul referred in chapter 1 to being so badly persecuted that he despaired even of life itself. But we learn here in verse 7 that it's at our weakness, at our weakest, that God works most powerfully. It's at our weakest that God works most powerfully. Paul reminds us again in chapter 12, verse 9, later on. Jesus is quoted by Paul as saying this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perfect power in paper cups. God's power works most powerfully in human lives when we humbly, willingly, weakly submit ourselves to his rule, and let him work through us. And this willing and humble submission was most clearly seen on the cross where Jesus humbled himself before God and indeed before the world. There's no greater picture of human weakness than a man who's whipped, beaten, spat on, mocked and nailed to a cross raised into the air practically naked for all to see and all to mock, save for those who loved him. It's on the cross that Jesus appears to be at his weakest, but it's on the cross that Jesus bears upon his mighty shoulders the sins of the entire world, past, present and future. And three days later, this humble man, this almighty God, rises to new life, conquering death itself. We work so hard through modern medicine to conquer death. Organ transplants, cancer research, brain surgery, heart surgery, vaccines are all in the name of defeating death. And rightly so. Death is our great enemy. But for all our ingenuity, all we can do is delay death at best unless we put our trust in the death conqueror. He conquered death 2,000 years ago. We conquered death when we humbly submit ourselves to his rule and trust in him. Through his humility and weakness, through our humility and weakness, God works powerfully to bring others to himself. Paul knows his own weakness. Look at verse 8 and 9. But as I read, notice he also knows God works powerfully through his weakness. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul knows hardship and suffering. In chapter 11, verse 23, it's on the screen. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. It goes on and on. Paul's suffering. He knows suffering. And you do too. And the older you get, the more you know suffering and hardship and pain. 
You know what it means to be rejected. <clears throat> rejected for your faith. At school, at work, mocked, ridiculed, called names maybe. Churchy, Bible basher, killjoy. We're hard-pressed for Jesus. We're bombarded by materialism, like just, wow. It's like five minutes to seven gigantic shopping centres from my house. Bombarded by materialism. Alcohol abuse, normal. Sexual immorality, normal in our world. Not for the Christian. You can't watch TV without seeing a half-naked woman who's trying to sell Tic Tacs. Or a homosexual couple trying to sell broadband. You can't sit down to a game of footy without feeling guilty because you're not gambling. I'm sorry, you just don't want to. <laughs> you get invited to a friend's place for a barbecue. If you don't drink alcohol, you probably go thirsty. It's perplexing, but it's for Jesus. You might be ridiculed by a sporting club because you don't want to play in the rep team that plays on Sunday mornings because you want to go to church. What's with that? doesn't make sense. So you're persecuted by your friends, by your club, for Jesus. You painfully question God as to why your beloved family member won't trust the Lord Jesus. You endure difficult conversations and you almost feel a need to apologise to your family for trying to talk about Jesus. You're struck down for Jesus. There are many ways in which we suffer for Jesus. There may be some that nobody else God even knows about, ways you suffer that no one knows about for Jesus. God knows. It seems clear that when hard-pressed, when perplexed, when persecuted, when struck down, Paul turns to God in faith and prayer, and he knows that God answers him. He knows that God cares. Paul's labour and his suffering are for the Lord and for the church. <clears throat> it's for Jesus that he suffers. That's why he writes that he carries the death of Jesus in his body. He suffers because Jesus died for him. But he also suffers to bring the Corinthians life. You see, our suffering for the gospel can bring life to others. New life, eternal life. Our suffering can bring eternal life to others. We're willing to forego life's small pleasures. We're willing to be ridiculed. We're willing to be mocked. We're willing to be the kind of odd person out at work or school or in the sporting club because we're doing it for Jesus and we want to bring life. We can bring eternal life as we reflect God's glory to those who are lost. Isn't that more important than all those things that we want for ourselves? Isn't that more important than fitting in with the rest of the crowd? What a blessing we have. We don't do it because we enjoy suffering. Look at verse 14. We know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, Corinthians, so the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What a great ministry we all have. You at home too, we all have this great ministry. We've been given the ministry of saving lives. As I mentioned earlier, Graham and Gladys Staines love Jesus so much that they were willing to forego their home and move to India to help people with leprosy and share the gospel. And while they were there, they had three children and they 
endured enormous persecution from Hindus who were convinced that missionaries were there to coerce people into Christianity. And on the night of 22nd of January 1999, while Graham and his 11-year-old son Philip and his 6-year-old son Timothy slept in the family station wagon to escape the cold, they were attacked and burned to death for their faith in God. They were murdered for Jesus. When Gladys heard that her husband and two sons were dead, she told Esther, her daughter, we'll forgive those who killed them, won't we? And Esther said, yes, mummy, we will. Andy Chu, a Christian pastor in Los Angeles who met Gladys and Esther at a conference in LA in 2000, the next year, he wrote this. It's on the screen. The response of Gladys and Esther was on the front page of every newspaper in India, with one billion people soon to pass China as the most populous nation on earth. Gladys said, I've got only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter. Neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Gladys shocked nearly everyone because people assumed she and Esther would move back to Australia or somewhere else in the West. She said no. God called them to India. She would not leave. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nature. nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. When asked how she felt about the murder of her dad, Esther, as a 13-year-old, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. My son's 13. The stains ministered the gospel and suffered in Jesus' name that they might shine the light of the gospel into the lives of Indians destined for death. Graham and his sons died in 1999. In the year 2000, the Indian Gospel League pledged to plant 100,000 Christian churches throughout India over the next 20 years. They didn't quite get there. In the last 25 years, they've planted 90,000 churches in India. Extraordinary. God's grace is reaching more and more people in India and causing thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God through ordinary Christians who are willing to humble themselves and reflect God's glory into their lives. God works powerfully through those who are weak. You may feel weak, persecuted, struck down. You may strive to be strong, but no that God works through your weakness. Take heart in the knowledge that you carry a precious, precious gospel inside of you like a diamond ring in a paper cup. The stains aren't superheroes. They just had a heavenly perspective. Getting to heaven in one piece and taking in as many people as you can with you is the only goal in life that has eternal consequences. Get to heaven and take as many people as you can with you. 
If you trust in Jesus, though you may feel weak, though you may be persecuted, though you may feel as strong and mighty as a paper cup, you carry a very great treasure inside of you. By God's Spirit within you, he works and he's able to shine the light of his glory into the lives of those who are perishing around you in the world. As we humbly submit our lives to his will, God works powerfully in the lives of others to bring them to himself. After Gladys spoke at the conference in 2000, an Indian national leader stood up and said, the impact made by Gladys, the response of Gladys and Esther has been amazingly powerful and many Hindus have come to Christ because of their witness. The people of India have looked at the situation, he said, and asked, why would a man leave his wealthy country and serve lepers in India for 34 years? Why would his wife and daughter completely forgive the killers of their family? Why would they choose to stay and serve the poor? Who is this God they believe in? Could it be that all we've been told about Christians has been lies? Could it be that Jesus really is the truth? The people of India, he said, are seeing embodied in the stains an otherworldly perspective and a strength in Christ that stands in stark contrast to the dark, fatalistic and impersonal gods of Hinduism. I look forward to meeting Graham and Timothy and Philip in the world for which we were all made. And if I get there first, I want to be there when they're reunited with Gladys and Esther. What a sight to see. What a joy it's going to be for Graham and Gladys and Esther and Timothy and Philip to stand together again in the life to come. And what a greater joy it will be for them to have an eternity surrounded by Indians who suffered leprosy, who were trapped in Hinduism, who they shared the gospel with, they shared God's glory with, and they came to saving, the saving knowledge of Christ. And now they get to spend all eternity with these people, with this joy. Friends, we have the same ministry to shine the light of the glory of the gospel into all the world. And I pray that we all will have the eternal joy of spending eternity with those with whom we've shared the gospel. There's just like this end of my sermon music happening. <laughs> Where's that coming from? Someone's phone. <laughs> the Oscars. Let me pray. With background music. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this glorious gospel. Um, we thank you for lifting the veil that Satan placed over our eyes to reveal your glory, to give us saving faith. And we pray for those in this room, on this live stream, who maybe have not put their trust in Jesus yet, that you'll lift the veil from their eyes and reveal your glory to them through Christ so they may trust and believe. And Father, we thank you for this treasure that we carry around inside ourselves despite our weakness and our frailty. And we pray that you'll use us mightily despite being weak and frail. God, use us powerfully to reflect your glory into all the world. We ask for the wonderful joy and blessing of being used to save some. We pray for mercy on those who we know, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, who don't yet trust in Jesus. 
work in their hearts, lift the veil, and then send us over to them to tell them about Jesus, that they might trust and believe and have eternal life with us. In Jesus' name, amen.